You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If I asked you in the room, who do you think is the greatest human being that has ever lived? I'm sure there would be a range of answers. Let's be honest, some of you would instantly say, oh, it's Mother Teresa. Greatest human being. Obviously, some football fans might say it's Klopp. You know, he's the Liverpool manager. Some might say, no, actually, it was Nelson Mandela. United a nation that was truly broken. If you had historically asked a Jewish person, who do you think is the greatest person of history, I'm fairly confident that they would have answered Moses. Moses was the guy that God called out from a burning bush. God literally called out, you know, he's out there just doing his every day, and he says, I am. God revealed himself. Moses was the person that had led them, who'd been slaves for 400 years, took these people out of slavery into freedom. Moses was the guy who got the Ten Commandments from God. The foundations for their society. Moses was the man that gathered a people and established the tabernacle, the priests, and the sacrifices. Moses is the man who is accredited as having written the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It tells us in the Old Testament, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend. So I guess if you'd have said to a Jew, who's the greatest? They'd have thought, Moses. Wow. Now let's read Hebrews chapter 3 and the first six verses. Jesus, greater than Moses. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the In the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're bombarded by words the whole day, but we believe these are the words from God to guide us, to speak to us, to direct us. I pray that the the author of these words, we believe inspired by the Holy Spirit, will come now and take these thoughts and seeds to people that will bear fruit for your glory. Amen. 
This is our second week looking at the book of Hebrews. I said last week that I'm going to call this a sermon, the sermon of Hebrews. And the author of this sermon is very keen to paint Jesus as greater and superior. Jesus is better. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This was not just a Hebrews thing to do. If you've read uh, much of the Bible, you know there are four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John often used this as a picture. Hey, you think this is great? Jesus is greater. We can see this when the Pharisees, who do not like the teaching of Jesus, they come and they question him, and they find his claims really hard to swallow. They're sort of saying, Jesus, you know, they're asking all these questions. They're probably doing the alpha course of their day. In John 8, they say, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think they are? This was a rhetorical question. So when they're saying, what, are you greater than Abraham? Yes. Oh, wow. Suddenly their eyes were opening up to who is this Jesus. John uses this in chapter 4 as well, this whole question thing. When Jesus was sat at the well and he was chatting to this woman, and, and you know, basically he's revealing truths to her, she gets confused and she questions his claims. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And the answer is, yes. Jesus was greater than Abraham. Jesus was greater than Jacob. Matthew, one of the other gospel writers, uses the thing as well as a comparison. Again, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are questioning Jesus and trying to grapple with the truth. Who is this Jesus? And in Matthew 12, we read, The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. What, are you saying you're greater than Solomon? I mean, Solomon was, many would say, well, David, I guess, was the iconic king for the Israelites. But it was his son. He had peace in his reign. David did shed a lot of blood But Solomon was wise and wealthy, influential, understood, intellectual. Are you saying, Jesus, you're greater than Solomon? Yes. Matthew uses this kind of comparison analogy again later on. When he says in Matthew 22, again, the Pharisees are asking questions. Who is this Jesus? Matthew 22, if then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? So David, when he sort of prophesied about Jesus, he said, he's my Lord. What? Is he greater than David? King David? David was the one who established the kingdom. You know, if the Israelites had had a high point, like I say, Saul was the first king, didn't go well. But David and Solomon, Jesus, are you greater than David? The greatest ever king of this nation? Yes. Oh, Wow. And then we get to this passage in Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews takes a look at Moses and Jesus side by side, not to pull down Moses, but to make you realize how great Jesus is. 
So if you look at the passage with me, you can see that Moses is referred to as a servant. But Jesus is referred to as a son. Oh, wow. Moses, it says, was faithful in God's house. Jesus is faithful over God's house. Oh, wow. Moses, we know, initiated the Passover lamb. When they came out, it was literally, you sacrifice this perfect lamb, spotless lamb. He initiated something that they did for years to thank God for his freedom. We know that Jesus is the Passover lamb. We don't have to do this ceremony year after year because of Jesus. We know that Moses was literally sent down to Egypt. We know that Jesus was sent to the whole earth. We know that Moses, actually, his reign was temporary. 40 years, we think, in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and 40 years leading the people. But it was a temporary reign. Jesus is eternal. And so what he's trying to say is, look, this wasn't just one guy in one generation. This is one guy forever. Moses is described as a witness to the truth. But Jesus is truth itself. Wow. Moses loved God. But Jesus is God. And can you see that there's this analogy going on here, and the author is trying to say, I want you to understand Jesus is greater. Christ had a far more responsible and eternally significant mission. He willingly took on his mission, unlike Moses, even though it resulted in death on a cross. Raymond Brown, this was a guy who used to be a principal of a Spurgeon's Bible College in London, said the implication is plain. To forsake the way of Christ... For the day of Moses is to go from the greater to the lesser. It's to abandon the permanent in favor of the temporary. You see, what we know is that this book was written to some Jewish people that had had followed Jesus, but was beginning to think, this is hard work. I'm not sure if I want to keep doing it. They were beginning to tire of coming on a Sunday. They're beginning to think, you know what? All my Jewish friends are having a go at me. They're beginning to, you know what, even the Romans are having a go at me. I'm just not sure I want to do it anymore. I guess it's like us saying, do you know what, it's hard being a follower of Jesus in London. It's not an easy thing. I don't know, I, I started well. I prayed the prayer. I got baptized. I, I just don't know anymore. And the author is writing, say, come on, Jesus is greater The word that stuck out to me from this passage, it comes four times, is faithful. Faithful. Moses was considered a faithful man. Some of us are doing the community Bible reading journal. It's where you read a chapter a day and just ask God to speak to you through it and you share it with the two or three others. We've just plowed through the book of Exodus Funny, the second half, it seems like chapter after chapter of, oh, this is how you're going to dress the priest, or this is how you're going to build this building, or this is how, you know, and you think, oh, really? Really? But then it ends, Exodus 40, with this. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. I thought, you sort of think, oh, wow. See, Moses was this faithful guy. 
even in a nation that wasn't. In fact, we know there's an account in the book of Numbers where Moses was opposed by his own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam. He was doubted by the whole community. But God says in Numbers 12, this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Moses was a faithful guy. So I would like to suggest that this chapter is about Jesus and Moses and faithfulness. Verse 2, we read it. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Verse 5 and 6, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what will be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. This is challenging us on faithfulness. I want to give four tips on faithfulness taken out of this chapter. The first one is very simple. Focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus as an example of faithfulness. It says in verse 1 and 2, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. If you read the account of the life of Jesus you discover that he only did what he saw the Father doing. I think, isn't that amazing? How faithful. I'll be honest, I'd really struggle with that. I mean, I've often thought, God, if I was Jesus and I, I could walk on water and I could calm the wind, hey, I could do anything. But Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. That's faithfulness, isn't it? He was so committed to the plan that he literally died on a cross for you and I. That's faithfulness, isn't it? If we want to really know what faithfulness is like, we should meditate more upon the life of Jesus Christ. So he's writing to them and he's saying, I want you to be a faithful people, look at Jesus. The second thing he says is there is a barrier of sin that stops you being faithful. We haven't got time to read the whole chapter. I said, if, you, if this is your home, I'd encourage you to read the book of Hebrews because it carries on. In my Bible, it says, warnings of unbelief, the next section. And in verse 12, it says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Amazing, isn't it? Sin can get in and just stop us being faithful. It goes on in verse 18. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The honest truth is that when you sin, you serve another master. You follow another God. You have split loyalty. You're covered in shame and guilt and you stop being faithful to God. And so what he's trying to write to them and say is, like, actually, fix your eyes upon Jesus and turn your back on sin. Number three, faith keeps going. We are saved by grace, yet we want it to challenge us. So it's not how we start the race, but how we finish. It says, if you read the passage, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Faith 
keeps going. As I said, it's very easy to start things. How do we go when we get tired? What about serving? Oh, we're just about to move to another venue. And you think, oh, golly, I'm sure that's going to be more work. Great. More people can step up and serve. What about prayer? Oh, it's great when we have a week of prayer, isn't it? And we give ourselves and you think, oh, that's fantastic. How can we keep going faithfully in prayer? What about giving? Talk about the offering every week. And it's almost like I did that last month and I had a great high. But this month, again, are we faithful? What about forgiving? I forgave them. You want me to forgive again? Faithfully forgive? Faith keeps going. I was given this shirt for my birthday. If, uh, if you're not into football at all, this is an Arsenal shirt, and it was personalized for me by somebody in the church. I've been following this team for years, and let's be honest, it's not been a great season. I mean, the reality is we were struggling to lose so badly as other people that we couldn't get into Europe. I mean, it's disappointing. But you can't just suddenly change after 40 years of following one team. That's faithfulness. Faith keeps going. Number four, tips for faith. Community is essential. We do not attempt this on our own. Let's be really frank. We don't mind being open and vulnerable when things are going well. The challenge is, what about when it's not? What about this morning when somebody brings a word about a broken mug and you think, oh, I'm happy to help. But are you happy to be helped? That's real community, isn't it? Suddenly saying, actually, I know these guys and girls have got my back. It says in Hebrews 3 verse 1, we read it there. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. There's a sense of spiritual family. It says in verse 13, like I say, it's faith the whole way through this chapter. Verse 13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. You think, look, if the, if the day of the week's got the letter Y in it, encourage someone. Well, it has, hasn't it? Because it's a day, a D-A-Y. Every day, we should be encouraging one another. We don't do this on our own. Christianity is a team sport. That's what it's saying. There have been many people throughout history that have exhibited this kind of faithfulness. I was reading this week about Polycarp. Some of you would know he was a second century bishop. He was about to be martyred. He was an old man. And so the governor thought, oh, come on, let's give the old man a chance. He said, if you renounce your faith now, I won't burn you. Polycarp says this, 86 years I have been his servant and he has never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme the king who saved me? I thought, what a picture of somebody faithful. I think 86 years he's followed him. I mean, if he came to faith at one, he'd be as old as John Jackson. And yet he's still saying, you know what? I'm faithfully going to follow my master. 
the easy way out will be renounce it and I won't burn you. And they went ahead and burnt him. I think of Florence Nightingale, the English nurse. She was the reformer. She died in 1910. She cared and cared despite her own difficulties. She brought relief and help to many hurt and wounded. Was it easy? No, but she faithfully served. I think of Hudson Taylor. This guy was a missionary for 51 years. He went to China at great personal cost, gave up much in the UK. He suffered in a hard time to share the gospel. He was a faithful man. I think of Rosa Parks. Some have described her as the first lady of civil rights in America. The lady who would not give up her seat on the bus. She had prayed that morning, God give me strength to do what you've called me to do. I think of Corrie ten Boom. She was part of the Dutch family that were thrown into prison for hiding Jews from the Germans at the start of the Second World War. Her sister died in a concentration camp. Corrie survived, but one day afterwards met one of the guards from the concentration camp who had become a Christian. He recognized her and put out his hand and said, I'm sorry. She thought, what am I to do? She put her hand back out and said, I forgive you. I think of someone like that who lived a life of forgiveness over years. I tell you, I'm feeling very challenged by this book of Hebrews because it is so countercultural. If we're really honest, I include myself in this, we live in a land of sound bites where we can sprint from one experience to the next. But Hebrews is about being faithful over the long haul. Look, I love the fact that our society values innovation and creativity. Both of them are brilliant. But I wonder if we've thrown out honoring the long-standing and those that have fought for Christ for years. I'd like everyone to stand, please. I'd like you to sit down if you've, if, if you've not been a Christian, and you may not be a believer here today. If you've not been a Christian for 10 years, sit down. If you have not been a Christian for 10 years, you may sit down. If you've not been a Christian for 20 years, you may sit down. If you've not been a Christian for 30 years, you could sit down. If you've not been a Christian for 40 years, you could sit down. I think we need to applaud those that have been faithfully calling Christ for 40 years. We do. We want to honor people that have faithfully walked for God for decades. You're an inspiration to us. And I'm sure there's been tough times as well as great times. But these are the people we want to emulate. 
We want to be those, don't we, that say, actually, it's not how we started this. I mean, it's great. We've been going as a church six years. Wouldn't it be great? You think, God, if people that got saved with us in our first year after 40 years are still standing. Thank you very much, guys. You can sit down. So I felt very challenged about personal faithfulness this morning. How do we remain faithful to God? Now, I want to tell you, what is the reward for personal faithfulness? What is the reward? Is it a place of honor? And it is good to honor. Is it power and miracles? Is it health and wealth? Is it less trouble? If you are faithful for God for all this time, what is the reward? What is the reward for being faithful? Well, let's look at verse 6. Because verse 6 says this. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold on to the courage and hope in which we boast. So what was the reward he was offering those that he was writing to, he was preaching to? He said, look, if you remain faithful, do you know what your reward is? Look around. It was to be part of the church. It was almost like saying, actually, the reward is this. You get to be a part of the people of God. I sometimes feel we've lost that. Look, if I'm treading on your toes this morning, forgive me. But our danger is that if you don't like something that happens here, you just go to a church down the road. We don't think, you know what, this is my reward. I'm part of the church. Good and bad, they're going to be for me. They're going to love me. I'm committed here. That's what he's saying the reward is. (laughs) He's saying, look, if you keep going faithful, I'm not offering you riches. I'm not offering you wealth. I'm not offering you miracles. I'm offering you to be a part of the church. Wow. It was the Hanwell Hootie yesterday. Yes, I performed there, but we won't say too much about that. I went to see a gig last night. It was in St. Melitus Church. It was quarter to 11. And to get in and see this band, we were queuing. The queue was as long as this building. Man, I love it. just want to get in there. Why? Because I'd heard that this band had played at Glastonbury. I heard they were great. I was keen to get in. Didn't matter the fact it was quarter to 11 at night and I'm just stood there. I want to be in. I wanted to be a part of it. I got to the front. You know, I was in a mosh pit. Yeah, yeah, you thought it was an old man. There you go. What were you guys doing at quarter to 12 last night? Let's not go there. How keen are you to queue in to get into God's house? If we're really honest. Oh, come on, Pete. You're just up in the commitment. No, no, that's not fair. The writer to the Hebrews is saying this. Christ was faithful. I want you to be faithful. And do you know what? If you are faithful, you could get to call this your home. It's not, look, could we twist your arm into possibly going along to a meetup? Go on, just give a few evenings. (laughs) You get to go to a meetup. Because this, this is what he's saying. He was saying, look, if, if you're not faithful, you're going to walk away from this lot. And that should be tragic. Because there's something he's saying of owning it. Peter writes, doesn't he, in his letter, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual 
house. To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the kind of buzz. One of the ladies that I play in this ukulele group is also an Arsenal fan. She turned up yesterday and said, you never guess what I was doing this morning. I said, what was that? She said, I was playing golf with Ian Wright. He used to be a um, striker for Arsenal as a commentator on the telly. It's funny, she didn't hold back on that. She just really buzzed. I said, I'm not jealous much. I said, I'd have carried his bag. I don't even play golf. You know what I'm saying? A sense of privilege. And I think that's how the author felt about the church, felt about the house. You mean we could get to get to do life together? We could encourage one another, support one another daily. We could share what we've read in the word together. We, you, I get the privilege of helping out, cheering you on. Yeah. If you're faithful, you could be a part of this. Sundays. We come, we encounter God together. The faithfulness. Oh, yeah, why do I come Sunday by Sunday? Because you know what? When we're here, there's something of the tangible presence of God. Why do we do a join the family evening every so often? Why? Because what we're saying is, look, there's a privilege of being involved and connected. This is my home. The challenge I want to bring this morning is twofold. How are you doing on personal faithfulness to God? The author to Hebrews is writing and saying, look, this is what Moses was like. He did great. This is Jesus. He is the faithful one. Are you running faithful for him? Let's be honest. We all know there's something we could do. If you feel generally bad on what I've just said, I'm sorry, that's condemnation. But if you feel convicted by what I've just said, that's probably the Holy Spirit. So I don't want you all to go, I think, oh God, I feel terrible, I feel terrible, I'm not faithful. Why are you not faithful? I don't know, but the preacher said it. No, let God speak to you something specific. You think, actually, I'm not faithful in that I offer to serve and I don't show up. I'm not faithful and I promise to give and I'm not. How's God challenging you about your faithfulness? And then how's God challenging you about your passion for his house? If he said, hey, the reward is this, you get to be a part of the house. I used to do this youth work some years ago. We always used to have this song, God is in the house. And the whole thing was everyone had to bounce like this, you know what I'm saying? God is in the house. And I think, golly, how do we get to that excitement? Yeah, if you're really lucky, one week I'll dig out, I was going to say the CD, it's probably a vinyl, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who's in the house? God's in the house. This is what we used to get the young people doing. How do we get them inspired? Because God is here. That's why it's a privilege to be a part of the house. Why don't we take a moment just to pause? Holy Spirit, we don't want to be those that look at the word and then just move quickly on. But it just was, okay, interesting. I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd speak specifically 
to anywhere they think, yeah, I've just dropped that faithfulness. I don't want to forgive anymore. I've cried so much over how they hurt me. I, I, I won't forgive. I pray for those that are tired of forgiving. Those that are tired of serving. Tired of loving. They just got worn down with London life. Holy Spirit, would you please refresh them? I pray as well for all those that have lost a sense of passion for being part of the house of God. We got so caught up in our own individual agendas and, and what am I doing? What suits me, serves me? That actually if someone said, hey, your reward is to be a part of the church, we'd think that's not much of a reward. I pray that you challenge our hearts and our thinking again. That we can fall in line with your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.